welcome to Up Close and Virtual with me, Katie Tew. In each episode, I'll be joined by a guest where we'll be chatting about our experience of starting and running a business, the lessons that we've learned along the way. We'll be sharing our top tips and, of course, best practice. Expect to be entertained, enlightened and empowered. Happy listening. everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Up Close and Virtual. Today, I am more than excited to be speaking to my lovely first ever client in my virtual assistant role, Emma Weir. Emma and I worked together 2011, I think. So we're 10 plus years down the line and she's still talking to me, which is extraordinary. But we've managed to continue our friendship. Emma is no longer working full time, but keeps herself extremely busy doing all sorts of other things. So the first thing I'm going to do is hand over to Emma and ask her, what's her story and how did she get to where she is now? (laughs) Um, Hello, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my story is I'm 62 now and I retired at uh, 60 but I semi-retired in 2010 which is why I got Katie as a VA in 2011. Um, I basically did not go to university um, and I personally think that unless you're going to go and read something sensible in a sensible university um, I do think that um, you know no favours were done when we were told that 50% of us should go to university so um, a conscious decision, Em. Did did you have the opportunity to go to uni and say, no, sod it, I want to go straight to work? Or was it more an education piece, had enough of education, needed to go into the workplace? What was the university decision based on? Uh, well, my parents said to me, unless I was going to be a lawyer or a vet or a doctor yeah. uh, or an accountant, um, you know, I think they were quite old fashioned. And bear in mind, this is, you know, 1977, 1978. So it's a long time ago. Um, you know, they, they sent me to something called Hartwell House outside Aylesbury. And I grew up in Scotland, despite my snotty accent. <laughs> and um, and um, so Hartwell was actually very good because I'd gone to a convent and it was sort yeah. of freedom, went to London. And it taught you how to be a good PA or a junior exec type thing. Yeah. Um, so actually, for me, it was good. But I was ambitious enough, aged 18, to say to myself, if I don't go to university... I don't want to be a secretary or a PA when yeah. my friends leave university yeah. um, because, you know, um, organisation is not my top skill. Yeah. So yeah. I joined a bank and I was a secretary and I got put back on probation after my first three months because I talked too much and that <laughs> gave me quite a lesson. And so I, I and they put me in the sense. corridor. They moved me out of the open plan office into a corridor. Anyway, I, that sort of bucked me up a bit. But I then didn't really want to do banking too much. So I ended up going to a financial advertising agency where I moved out of secretarial and I was doing um, advertising after a a Eurobond deal was done. So I was um, I had quite a high powered job from about 21 to 23. And then rather arrogantly, I looked at my boss and I thought, I don't want to do what you're doing for the rest of my life. And I got approached by somebody I'd worked at in this first bank to go and sell Eurobonds, which was 
in those days the sort of king of the city yeah. so um all puffed up I accepted that and went and I was useless at it and got made redundant which was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was an arrogant little tosser at that age and thought I was god um and so I then ran a computer business for a year, um, which taught me how to run a business. Mm. But the guy who owned it went bankrupt in the States. And then when I was 25, so I'm now four careers in and five jobs in age 25, yeah. um, I found the thing I was good at, which was yeah. headhunting. So how did you, where, who did you work for to start with in the headhunting industry then? I worked for a firm called Stevens Associates, okay. who were specialists in the city. Yeah. And initially they were more recruitment. And then um, slowly we sort of turned into doing more headhunting. Yeah. And then I opened an office for them. Uh, I was doing equities and asset management. Mm -hmm. And I opened an office for them in New York. And then I went out and lived in Hong Kong in 1992 and set up an office for them in Hong Kong as well. Wow. And I set an office up for them in Tokyo, actually, in 94. And do you think the running the computer business taught you how to run a business that was then transferable into setting up those businesses in New York and Hong Kong? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and it was the early days of the personal computer. And mm -hmm. so we were selling a product called Multimate, which was the early uh, predecessor to Word. Um, and I was selling it to computer companies and end users. And so, um, you know, that was great experience in every way. Yeah. So you then ended up in Hong Kong with Stevenson's opening their office. Did Was it there that you set up and started EBAN? And yeah. It's about EBAN. Cause... Yes. So I set up EBAN in 1995, just as Bearings went bankrupt. Not great timing. Ah. Um, and, um, and I basically ended up replicating Stevens Associates. So I ended up with offices in Hong Kong, Singapore, Tokyo, New York and London. And in 1997, I came back to London. And were you directly competing with Stevenson's? With uh, yes, yes, as well? yes, I was, yes. Whoa, that's brave. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't much competition in Hong Kong because the whole office announced they were coming with me. Okay. Which, which was far more frightening because yeah. I thought they'd stay behind and they all said there were six of them and they all said we're coming with you. So the stakes were suddenly much bigger. I had to pay six people's salaries and... Yeah. It also was more difficult with Stevens politically and everything else than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. So we basically took the whole business away from them. Wow. Wow. And at no point did you lose your nerve or did you have lots of very wobbly moments, but just kept going? Um, I mean, Hong Kong was 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 really um, the right place to be in the world at that point. Yeah. Um, and so from 92 to 97, China was exploding. The whole of the far Middle Far East was exploding. I'd been trained in London. I was the right age. I was really in the right place at the right time. And so, um, you know, my only worry, I guess, was the first year just, um, you know, getting through that, really, yeah. um, which we were luckily did. Um, and we had to be out of the market um, with all of our clients for six months. But I knew enough other people. Yeah. Um, so I was very, very lucky. And, you know, uh, it, we only had to sign a two year lease on an office and things like that. So it's a, it's a great place, you know, Hong Kong to be entrepreneur or it was. It's no longer yeah. a sad thing. Yeah. A very different place, sadly. Yeah. And how long did it take you to before you set up EBAN in, in London? How long between sort of Hong Kong? So two, two years. So I left Hong Kong um, just before the handover yeah. and set 
London up, which was much tougher, really, because I hadn't been there for five years. And so that was that was the harder thing I did yeah. than actually setting up Eban. You know, the two hard things were going to Hong Kong and setting Stevens up mm. um, and then um, setting up um, Eban in London. Yeah. And then in 99, I opened an office in New York. Yeah. And in 2001, I opened an office in Tokyo. Wow. And how, yeah, okay. So, in gosh, in all, so you started Eban in 98, 95. 97. 97. 95, 95, 95, sorry, 95. God. And it grew quite quickly. Mm. So what do you think makes a successful female entrepreneur? Um, I think that... Um, you know, for me anyway, definitely confidence. Mm. I never really questioned myself no. um, and um, and working very hard for, for many, many years. Yeah. Um, I think one big secret is employing people who are better than you. So as an entrepreneur, you kind of need to be able to do every job in the office. Yeah. Um, and absolutely understand every job in the office and be able to mentor everybody doing every job in the office but you know in different areas we all have different skill sets um, and different areas the markets require different personalities as well so you know I wouldn't get on that well with a trader say in the city but I will get on well with an asset manager yeah so you know you employ the right character who's going to get on with the trader Mm -hmm. um, and so you know not being afraid to employ somebody who's going to challenge you Mm-hmm. and ideally be better than you would be in that one slot they sit in. Yeah. But not necessarily be better than you overall Yeah. in terms of, you know, having many balls in the air, multitasking, um, you know, a huge amount of running a business is is being a nanny or, you know, looking after people um, and, um, you know, solving problems all the time, whether it's between rows on commissions or rows on, you know, um, um, uh, what they're earning or rouse on um, promotion. You know, it's just having an open door um, and having everyone happy and confident they can come and speak to you at any time. And successfully um, managing those in, those intercompany political hmm. relationships. Um, yeah, can be- and headhunters have huge egos generally and sometimes yes. they're not warranted and sometimes they are. Now, you said confidence, um as being a huge attribute to your success. What about when people challenged you on what you were doing? You maybe just forged your, put your head down, kept going. Did people ever question what you were doing? And did you find that difficult to answer? Yes, I got myself in a situation where I employed a woman, funnily enough, who was very, very tricky and had been very senior in one of the big global firms. Mm. And she kind of tried to take the business over. And I ended up having to take all the heads of the offices um, and our COO and our CFO to Paris with a um, business consultant and, you know, um, not a negotiator, a mediator. Yeah. Um, and, um, And I can remember having to leave the room and then they all made the decision about what to do and walking around Paris thinking my whole company could get taken away from me. Um, and, um, and in fact, in the end, they decided that, um, you know, she, she had to go. So that was good. 
But it was a fairly hairy time, to say the least. But she was just very difficult. But she was a brilliant headhunter. Yeah. So that comes into the personality play and the power Mm. play, I think, as well at the top too. You know, people get very ambitious very quickly and it's difficult to manage. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people that I work with now have that awful crisis of self-confidence and I guess for want of a better expression imposter syndrome you know I can't do this I'm not worthy you know all that sort of malarkey is is there anything that that you would say to somebody who's kind of sitting perhaps in front of you saying those sorts of things um well, I think it depends on 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 whether I think they can do it. But let's assume yeah. one that they can do it. Yeah. Um. You know, I think you you've had it occasionally with me in the past. Um. And I'm one thousand percent sure that you can do anything you want to do. Um. And um. And that you're proving it now in everything that you're doing. So, but you know, I I, I kind of don't understand it because I'm so confident. And if I see ability in other people, you know, and quite often. Even with my friends, it's the prettiest, nicest, most capable people who have the least confidence. Um, And I suspect, particularly for women who've been mothers Mm -hmm. and are going back to work, um, you know, that that's very difficult. And, um, you know, I think the whole online thing is is, and technical side of things is is probably very difficult for people because kids are just so quick on all of all of that. I Um, think it's. you're right. Your thing about the, the the sort of social media elements, I think what we have in our life today that sort of 10, 15 years ago we didn't have was the social media element where we are putting ourselves into social media because we think that that is a route to market. So it's a route to sort of new clients and new prospects and all that sort of thing. But while we're in there, we are constantly comparing ourselves to other people doing a similar job and I I think most people's lack of confidence and that imposter syndrome stuff comes from getting too much of of the social media what everybody else is doing Mm. they do that compare and contrast Mm. but the social media stuff is all and so one-dimensional and and so scratching the surface of anybody's life that that the reality is you have to ignore it. You have to focus on you, what you're doing and what your business is and not worry about what the competition is. Everybody else is different. You're doing your thing. They're doing your thing. If you can do your thing with confidence, then doesn't matter what they're all doing. And don't yeah. put yourself in that situation. Um, you know, don't compare and contrast because we are yeah. completely, totally different. And, and I just also like, like, like to say, you know, just as a word of advice, you know, the one thing that annoys me is if I explain something to somebody um, and I say to them, if you have a problem or you don't understand what I'm saying when you try and do this, please come back to me. Do not try and do it and get it wrong. Um, and so, again, people admitting that they haven't understood something yeah. or they need more time with you saves the boss time and an awful lot of angst in the end if they go off and do it wrong. And I think a lot of people, out of a lack of confidence, don't want to admit that they haven't understood something. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really vital that you are humble and honest 
um, and open with with your boss or with the person below you. It works both ways, you know, rather than put on a front. So although I'm saying I'm very confident, um, part of that confidence is admitting that I can't do something or I don't understand something. I completely agree with that is that classic there is no such thing as a stupid question Mm. if it's niggling in the back of your mind and and you are unsure you are much better off asking and there's a huge confidence that comes from asking and getting the response that you need the information that you need to be able to go on and do a really good job of what it is exactly and and most people particularly bosses like giving advice you know, if, if you're trying to sell something, I think the best way to do it is to, you know, try and turn it into asking for advice almost. Yeah. Um, because people then feel, you know, big and important and, and helpful. Absolutely. And it also develops your relationship with the people mm. that you're working with. Um, you know, if you ask the questions, it shows the enthusiasm and the intelligence uh, that you are that you have but it also develops your individual relationship with the person that you're working with. Yeah, and, and shows that you're interested. You know, I think an awful lot of particularly the young today, going you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> that sort of whatever, um, you know, or you feel like putting a bomb under them if they're working for you. So, you know, I think it's always important to be smiley, open, enthusiastic, um, you know, and if you're feeling completely awful that day, just say, I'm really sorry, I'm knackered or I just, I'm out of sorts, you know. Yeah explain it rather yeah. than sit there in a, in a in a in a heap with your boss going what is wrong with her i'm in a constant stage of that now <laughs> certain age and a female i'm constantly in a brain fog <laughs> if you could give any top tips to women out there in terms of success or succeeding what would they be well, I think my problem is slightly, I mean, I've always been in a man's world and I've always enjoyed being with men. Um, and so, you know, and, and even working in the city in the 80s, I never really saw myself as a woman. Um, you know, I saw myself as, as an I equal. just have to caveat that, everybody. <laughs> Emma is a gorgeous, blonde, slim, incredibly funny and really good company so how she ever thought that she was anything other than the well, dominant female I, don't, I, I didn't know. I didn't divide myself from the men no. if, you know if that makes sense no, I, I, makes sense. I you know apart from them going out boozing and uh, whatever together which hardly happens I don't think um you know I didn't see myself as any different to mm. the boys yeah. um and, and you know in particularly in the bond markets in the 80s you know you you had to just be one of them so you know, I think being a woman actually has turned out, particularly in something like headhunting or selling, to be a massive advantage because you stick out a bit and your ego isn't bashing up against the man. You know, when there are two men selling to each other or advising each other, there's always more ego there. Yeah. And I think with girls, men are more open um, a lot of the time because they don't feel so threatened by you. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm a bad example of of a woman in terms of that, because I just don't think I think like most women do. Uh, yeah, I think it's a different, there's a there's a generational thing here as well. And that's not me being rude about how old you are either by any stretch of the imagination, because you were working in a very male dominated environment yeah. in a time when there weren't as many women in the workplace mm. in those senior roles. Mm. So you you had to jostle for your position 
mm-hmm. that meant rolling up your sleeves and being part of the boys network yeah because otherwise yeah. And, and I think as a woman generally in those days you had to be better than the boys yeah you know you you really you, you, had to, you had to be good to yeah. succeed as a, as a woman in those days so I think now though I mean I hope anyway that that's all changed um so yeah. you know I think for girls going back to work you know, who've been away having babies, it's it, it that will be very difficult because Definitely. the world is is a very different place now. But yeah. hopefully, it, it's a different place for the better. Definitely, I think it really is, and I think opportunities are opening up for that that sec, sec, section of society who are returning to work mm. significantly. I've got a client at the moment who is particularly wanting to carve out a route to market for recruiting those returners. Mm. Or those who want to reskill, so they may have had a career in something specifically. Um, yeah. I know you and I share a, a, a wonderful friend, Bean Landale, who mm. does exactly that. At yeah, yeah. World. Um, and I'm going to be definitely getting in touch with her to help us mm. as to that because they they are a fully remote business, so they yeah. don't even have an office anymore. Um, and they know the value of good people and good people generally are those who are returning because they feel very committed. They feel, yeah. they feel really great about getting a new opportunity. Mm. Um, but they, they, these guys are absolutely carving their recruitment, mm. uh, sort of uh, their, their whole recruitment planning around reskilling and, and upskilling and returners. Yes. And if I was still I, hiring people, you know, I would be very much looking for that for, for that that person. Well, that actually, funny enough, really links nicely with something I wanted to ask you, which was you were my very first VA client. And we're talking 10 plus years ago. Virtual assistants didn't really exist. So was that the, what was the motivation for looking for somebody like me, a virtual assistant for you when you were moving back to Gloucestershire? Um, I didn't need, I was working from home for the last 10 years of my yeah. life, as you know. Um, I had one very, very big um, and rather nice, lucrative client in Abu Dhabi. Um, and so I needed somebody who was super efficient um, on top of everything um, to help me do that. And having, you know, run an office in London of 16 people, um, you know, I was pretty hopeless at any admin um I didn't have a full-time job though I just really wanted you know sort of half the time but I wanted you to be available to me 100% of the time if I needed you desperately and so um you know I I paid you a very good amount of money to work half time and sometimes you probably work more than that and towards the end you worked a lot less than that yeah um and at the beginning you came and sat with me and we got to know each other and you understood all the systems and the database and, you know, all of the accounting side of everything and did, did, did absolutely everything. And then as time moved on and you knew exactly how I think and what I do and what the clients, you were able to do it from home. And so, you know, I saw you much, much less. Yeah. Um, it's the flexibility piece really for you yeah. because you yeah. didn't have an office in Gloucestershire. Yeah. You weren't looking to employ people on a full-time basis because to all intents and purposes, it was just you running EBAN in the UK. Yeah. So it was the the, the flexibility, the, the 
the opportunity to have somebody who could work remotely but work with you because they live relatively locally as well and it was the sort of turn on turn off I could be available 24 7 but equally it didn't matter if I wasn't because you if you and the business weren't busy yeah and I think the the time we spent together though was very important yes um you know because I think it's vital that you know all the admin here, the filing here, the you know, um, and everything. And so I do think that if anyone's going to be a VA, that it is important that at the beginning of their time they really get to know the business and the and the client well, because Absolutely. that's when things could go wrong. Definitely. Um, you know, and and um and so that that I think is that time that we put in together at the beginning definitely enabled you to then work from home um, very easily. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have to just share a funny story. When Emma and I first met, we met in a little deli in the local town. And about two days later, Emma phoned me and said, I'm going to Scotland in next week. Um, can you come? And I sort of <laughs> went, yeah, OK, yeah, I can come. And then she finished the conversation with, you can come with me. It's a 10 hour journey. And if we don't like each other at the end of it, then we know we're not going to be working together. Anyway, the 10 hour journey went on and we um, seemed to have made a connection and it worked. So take those opportunities, I guess. <laughs> I, yes, I often I, I used to take my dog to work in London and I would interview people by taking them for a walk in Hyde Park with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> because again you get people out of their comfort zone a bit absolutely yeah exactly so I've always been I've always been a little bit quirky in in the way I've approached things I think that that's a good thing I think you really get to know people by doing that and putting them yeah out of their comfort yeah zone. Exactly. Like exactly. Hide, you can't run from anything one last thing I would really like to ask you, and I know um, that you've been involved with the Prince's Trust previously. Are you still involved with the Prince's Trust? No, I was on the sort of women's leadership team for a bit. Wow. Um, and um, and it's an incredibly impressive organisation. Funny enough, I was um, in a local town here and I saw some amazing lampshades in a shop. And I went into the shop and asked about them and... Um, this girl who lives locally made them, and she was on the Prince's Trust scheme. Wow. Um, and they had financed her to make the lampshades and helped her. So I, I mentored her for for a bit, um, which was great. Um, and it is an, it is an incredible charity, really amazing charity. Um, and I know we've we've also got a mutual friend who did the um, Markel Cup for the um, Magnolia Cup this year. Oh yes, Prince's Trust. Yes. The, yeah, the exactly. stuff. yeah okay what keeps you busy now Emma Weir having had <laughs> the busiest of careers at the top of your game well, what, what keeps you busy now well the embarrassing answer to that question is because I also live in Scotland and I, I did own a house that we were running as a hotel so for the last two years I've been living in Scotland and selling that it took me two years to sell it yeah. Um, so I'm now going to try and, I, and I've actually managed to negotiate five years rent free in a five bedroom house in the grounds that I sold. He's the queen of negotiation. Which is very jammy. And <laughs> yeah. so, um, I'm planning on spending six months a year up there, which does make yeah. it harder to do much charitable stuff. But I'm well, I'm on the board at the advisory board of Beaver, the, the Duke and Duchess of Rutland's um, okay. estate, which is yeah. fascinating. And I do the sort of HR, help them a bit with HR. Brilliant. Um, and I help with, um, I'm on the Friends of Tetbury Hospital. 
Yes, and I'm chairman well. of a little a lunch in London where we raise £50,000 a year by just having a lunch with 170 mostly Scottish girls who live in London. Gosh. And we give the money every year to a different charity. Yeah. Um, and I'm chairman of that lunch. I'm very pleased I've got a sponsor today, which is brilliant. Excellent. Um, and then I spend a lot of time playing tennis and a lot of time with my friends and a lot of time on holiday. Good. Um, right too. I'm having, you know, I'm just having an absolutely wonderful time, basically. Brilliant. Emma, you've been a delightful guest and it's just always so lovely to catch up and chat with you as ever. Um, I owe an awful lot to Emma. Um, my business would not be an, a fraction of what it is today without the enormous support that Emma has shown me. So thank you. Thank you on all bases. My pleasure. Well, if I was rude, I'd have interrupted you there because you've done it all yourself. <laughs> uh, I know. We've, I no, probably no. started you off just by getting you to come and help me. And you, you've made an enormous difference to the last 10 years of my career. So between us, we had good fun and made some good money. We have. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And, so uh, what you're doing is brilliant now. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Thank I really you. enjoy it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow me and my guests on our social channels. All the details will be in the show notes. And please get in touch if you have any questions or topics that you might like to have covered in the next episodes, or even if you would like to be a guest yourself. <laughs>